Good day to you, 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 and especially you. This is Minister Victoria King here. I hope you are having an absolutely fantabulous day, and I thank you for sharing your time with me. My intent during this month of February, and this will carry over into the first week of March, I know, um, but during the month of February, love is celebrated. Um, and I just simply wanted to amplify a love that surpasses every other love and to magnify the provisional love of God, which is available to all, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they position themselves to receive it or not, whether they walk in its liberty or not, it is there, not just in the month of February, but every day. And this love will comfort you now and for eternity. For those of you who may not have joined me the entire month, my three February messages were during the week of February the 7th, love, everything to do with it, where we shared the sacrificial aspect of love. During the week of February the 14th, what is he worth to you was the question. We shared a demonstration of extravagant love. During the week of February 21st, love and intentional pursuit. The thought that love gives thought to effective ways to pursue its beloved. And today's thought is simply, he loved you to death. Philippians chapter two, verse eight says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. This is not an ordinary love, passionate love to bear a cross, far beyond all I could ever want. Jesus, amen. This is not the fire that comes and goes. It's the air I bring, the fire in my bones. It's the greatest power that I have ever known. Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Jesus himself said, no man takes my life. I lay it down, so I take it up again. The Gospels record Jesus' response to death. Let's take a look. In Luke chapter 7, verses 12 through 15, um, we read, Now, when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. Any funeral is a tragedy, but this was a special loss. The deceased was the only son of his mother, and that the mother herself was a widow. The loss of her only son meant a miserable future for the widow. This procession probably consisted partly of hired mourners and musicians with flutes and cymbals. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. We are specifically told of the compassion of Jesus on this occasion. He 
instantly understood the situation and had sympathy upon the widow, giving her hope despite the tragedy of the situation. And he came and he touched the coffin and they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto you, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak and was delivered back to his mother. Jesus looked at the boy, uh, yet spoke to his dead body as if he were alive. On more than one occasion, Jesus broke up funeral processions by raising the dead. This was also true for Jairus' daughter. And that account is found in Luke chapter 8, verses 41 through 56. I actually shared that account in my January 30th podcast entitled The Right Touch. Uh, then there's the account of Lazarus, a uh, very familiar account uh, found in Lazarus, uh, concerning Lazarus, found in John chapter 11. The Bible records, and it's actually verses one, uh, 1 through 45, but I definitely won't read all of that, but I will read a portion of it. By the time Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Many Jews had come from Jerusalem to comfort Mary and Martha. Uh, when Jesus arrived, he declared, your brother will arise. And Martha answered, well, I know he will arise again. Uh, this will happen when people are raised from the dead on the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And those who live and believe in me will never die. The people would have gasped at the thought of his rising again. After a person dies, their spirit leaves their body and their body begins to decay. A decaying body has a terrible odor. And Lazarus, again, had been um, in the grave for four days. Ah, but honey, here comes Jesus. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. I said it so they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible declares that the dead man came forth, but his hands and his feet were bound uh, with linen. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that Jesus said, uh, loose him, oh my God, and let him go. Uh, and the Bible says he was loosed. Hallelujah. Jesus claimed to be life and the light of the world. He didn't like death regarding it as an enemy that had to be defeated. God promises that we will be resurrected and rise from the dead never to die again, those of us who are in Christ. Uh, why did I say that? I said that because 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 declares, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. By Adam, by the act or by the means of Adam, as a consequence of his act, his deed was the procuring cause or the reason why all are subject to temporal death. And that's found in Genesis chapter three. 
It does that mean that all people become actually dead when he sinned, for they had not yet had existence. But it must mean that the death of all can be traced to him as the procuring cause, and that his act made it certain that all that came into the world would be mortal. The sentence which went forth against him, found again in Genesis 3:19, went forth against all affected all involved in the certainty of death. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three declares, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. The word for dead in the Greek is nekros, which literally means a corpse or a dead body. Since we know Paul is talking about a spiritual state, not a physical state, we must understand this deadness refers to our spiritual life. The Ephesians were alive physically, but dead spiritually. Paul chose this comparison because it accurately describes not only the nature of an unbeliever, but also the impossibility of an unbeliever recognizing and correcting his own condition. Uh, just as a corpse cannot revive itself to life, neither can an unbeliever revive his own spirit into new life. Verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Hallelujah. Paul meant that the natural state of every man and woman during this age or time is to be spiritually dead. Uh, this is normal and universal. We know from Romans and Genesis that the cause for humanity's dead state is the sin of Adam, which we inherited at birth. Uh, Paul is explaining that the Ephesian spiritual deadness prior to faith was not unique. Uh, they simply shared in a condition that affect all humanity. Every person begins their life on earth in a state of spiritual deadness. And apart from a work of God to revive our spirit, this state will continue uninterrupted until our physical death. Ah, but that's why I'm coming to tell you that he loved us unto death, so we didn't have to stay in that state. Hallelujah. Among whom also, verse 3 in Ephesians, among whom also we had our conversation or lifestyle in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Ah, we were naughty by nature. Hallelujah. Spiritual deadness is a condition which finds its course in Satan. He was the first to fall and his deceptive influence contributed to the fall of man in the garden. Today, he rules the hearts of those bound in spiritual deadness and he exerts his controlling influence through the fear of death. In short, all unbelievers are spiritually dead sons and slaves of the devil. So that's why John chapter three says you must be born again. Now, John chapter three, verse 16 goes on to say, for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, John, first John chapter two, verse two says, and he, he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
Propitiation has the idea of presenting a gift to the gods so as to turn away the displeasure of the gods. The Greeks thought of this in the sense of man essentially bribing the gods into doing favors for them. But in the Christian idea of propitiation, God himself presented himself in the person of Jesus Christ on that cross as the only way to turn away his righteous wrath against our sin. The word propitiation implies that Christ has, as our sin offering, reconciled God in us by nothing else but by his voluntary death as a sacrifice and thereby averting God's wrath from us unto himself. First John 4 verse 9 says, in that, was manifested the love of God toward us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Ah, can I say he loved us to death? Hallelujah. Uh, I'm reminded of a story I heard about a very elderly lady visited by a friend um, prior to her death. The friend was shocked. Uh, by the woman's impoverished living environment, wondering what circumstances forced her to live in that manner. She noticed a fallen picture frame only holding on to the wall uh, by a broken nail. Um, uh, so she went to straighten up the picture to kind of secure it, and she noticed an envelope sticking inside the picture frame. She asked her friend about it and her friend replied, um, a wealthy gentleman I worked for many, many years ago, he gave that picture to me. He passed some time ago and I figured the note was his, so I never opened it. The friend said to her dying friend, well, he gave the picture to you so it's actually yours as well. Um, so why don't you, I think you should read it. So the friend said in a very low, very raspy voice, um, I can't read it. Can you read it to me? She complied. Uh, and as she did, sir, her eyes grew big and her mouth dropped. The envelope contained the title deeds to everything the wealthy gentleman owned. He left it all to her. He described her as his beloved employee. All those years, she lived in abject poverty, unaware that she was actually very, very wealthy. Why did I share that? I did so because everything Father God gave flows from his heart of love and is found in the pages of the book called the Bible. He provided a way that we can stand before him cleansed from all our sin. All the judgment of our sin was laid on Jesus. By the shedding of Jesus's blood, all his righteousness was transferred to us. His righteousness gives what is pure, good, and holy. His justice weighed the motives and intents of our thoughts and words and deeds. He gives kindness and mercy and grace. When we fail to accept the free gift of God, we too live impoverished lives. My prayer 
is that we all have a better understanding of how much we are loved and that we thank God even more for his unspeakable gift and that we embrace everything our Lord's crucified death, burial, and resurrection afforded to us. God is the architect of our lives, but we have to build it using the practical principles found in a vital, vibrant relationship with him and the authority of his word. Father, we bless you. We bless you, hallelujah, God, uh, for, hallelujah, God, your unspeakable gift uh, of your precious blood. God, you willingly shed it, hallelujah, for us, God. We can't even imagine. We've seen depictions of the cross, but we understand that it, we cannot even understand it at all, even looking at it from that perspective. So we thank you, God. We thank you, and we pray for each and every listener, each and every person hearing my voice, oh God, bless them in a special way, oh God, help them to feel loved, God, help them to feel, hallelujah, God, the love that you have and that you want to express for them, God, hallelujah, help us all, God, to represent you uh, as we love on others, God, hallelujah, God, this dying world needs a living savior, uh, and you are that living savior, so we thank you uh, for your presence, God, hallelujah, even though the church has left the building, hallelujah, you are with us wherever we are, and for that we're grateful. Be with us and guide us, mold us, make us, nurture us, order our steps, keep us safe. It is in your matchless, marvelous, magnanimous, magnificent name we say amen and thank God.